it's Thursday, and you are, yet again, for some reason, tuning in to Days of the New. I'm Kevin, as always, joined by my co-host, Nick. Nick, how are you? I'm doing okay, Kevin. Um, yeah, not not much to say. It's uh, very windy here in Las Vegas, so it's been kind of a frustrating winter here. Uh, can't really do anything outside. And, you know, before we know it, it's going to be nuclear hot, then we won't be able to do outside, do anything outside again. So, uh, yeah, I spent all my time working from home and then podcasting from home during my working hours. Yeah, yeah, that's a, uh, that's a real dystopian nightmare you got there mm-hmm. uh, of your own making. So, <laughs> goddamn. Let me tell you about my morning. Okay. So, uh, we're recording this on a Monday, and after a good eight hours sleep, I woke up feeling refreshed, hopped in the shower, and proceeded to shave in the nude, as, you know, I do. And uh, then went to put a little, put a little old spice on the old uh, neck, and uh, a little bit of it fell into my dick hole. <laughs> the old spice? Yeah, yeah. It's a, it's a real Home Alone mo- moment. Oh, all right. Yeah. Woke up my wife screaming because uh, I had uh, aftershave in my dick hole. Yeah, that's that's not where that that's not where that goes. Yeah, no, no. But my my pee hole is now very fresh. Yeah, so, great. Uh, anyway. The reason I brought you here today is because uh, we're going to be talking about Danzig. I know that typically the name Danzig would not fall into the uh, lexicon of a new metal podcast, but as we've discussed on this show before, everybody at some point was a victim of the time. For sure. And I mean, Danzig will always be new metal adjacent in the mm-hmm. way that like Hot Topic will always be new metal adjacent. Like people still wear Misfits shirts and the marketing of Glenn Danzig's previous work definitely has some roots in you know the early days of new metal i would think oh 100 percent. i mean i'm sure all those dudes were like do you like the misfits like well yeah absolutely yeah dude it's not an overblown statement to say that without glenn and the misfits many of the bands that we all know and love wouldn't be here for many of us the misfits was our introduction to punk rock yeah yeah definitely uh i mean i knew who the misfits were because like a friend of a friend was really into them but i never really listened to them until later uh mm-hmm. But uh, yeah, I mean, I still like the Misfits. I actually fell backwards into uh, the Misfits. My first concert ever as a 13-year-old with my junior high friends, uh, Megan and Amanda, was Danzig. With him was Typo Negative and Godflesh. He was touring in support of the 1994 album Danzig 4 as my first show left unattended by a really bad parent. Thanks, Megan's mom. Uh, I, you know, that was life-changing, man. That was, that was a really special moment. And I saw all these people wearing, you know, the Crimson Spectre shirts. And I was like, what the fuck is that? And sure enough, that's how I got into the Misfits. But I've always had a soft spot in my heart for dancing. Yeah, I think for me, it was like, I think I'm supposed to like the Misfits. I guess I should go listen to them. (laughs) Turns out I do like the Misfits. Yeah, no, they're good. And because we're dealing with a man with, you know, decades of history under his belt, like as I sit down to write this, I was up to my eyeballs in research. So this is by and large the most written about and reviewed artist we've ever done. But this is a new metal podcast. So for the purposes of this, we're going to largely put aside the story of the Misfits and all that hilarious drama, and we'll, for the most part, skip over Sam Hain, which effectively served as the bridge between the Misfits and Danzig as a solo act. Because for today's episode, I want to focus on the man, Glenn Allen Anzalone, 
or as he's known to us, Glenn Danzig. Born June 23rd, 1955, to Richard Anzalone and Moretta Price. He was the third of four boys and was raised in the working-class town of Lottie, New Jersey. In typical New Jersey fashion, Danzig was also a juvenile delinquent. He's been quoted saying, When I was younger, I got into a lot of fights, went to jail a bunch of times, and the next time I was going away for the long goodbye, you know? I was lucky. I did all my drugs when I was a little kid. Like... I started when I was 10, and I stopped when I was 15. <laughs> Every time I hear him talk about that, it's so weird. Like, <laughs> I, how, how does that progression stop, and then how at 15 you're like, I think I'm over these needle drugs. I, I need to get out the life. Like, I don't right. know. I, I think that's like, you know, there's with Danzig, there's always a lot of like Jersey tough guy machismo. Sure. So you got to take a, a grain of this. Like, all right, you're a little long on the bullshit, Glenn. But... uh <laughs> Who's to say? So, when he wasn't busy jonesing for his next hit of dope, Glenn spent his childhood reading comic books, watching monster movies, and was transfixed by the voice of singer Elvis Presley. So, there may actually be something to Glenn being a 10-year-old junkie, because there is a proven link between substance abuse and emotional maturity. And as far as I can tell, Glenn has never evolved past comic books, monster movies, and Elvis. Yeah, I think that's ex exactly. If you said to me, name this artist, comic books, monster movies, and Elvis, I'm going to say Danzig immediately. The only thing he added to that equation was tits. <laughs> so to further solidify this, we're going to read an excerpt from the January 1991 issue of Spin, where Danzig is actually the cover story. And Nick, for this one, you're going to be Danzig. Okay. Oh man, there's gotta be a titty bar around here, complains Glenn Danzig to his road manager, George Harris, and his security chief, Jesse James, as the three breeze through the mall's entrance. Empty, just the way I like it. No assholes in my way. Glenn beams, throwing his shoulder-length black hair out of his face to reveal his striking looks. With his monstrously developed chest and his evil eyes, he looks like a cross between Jim Morrison and Cro-Magnon Man, only meaner. Oh, what do you want to do first? Titty bars or comic books? George asks. Comic books, Glenn answers. I've already asked about the titty bars. They're down past the hotel, George says as he scans the Deerfield shopping mall directory in search of the comic book store. Glenn and Jesse and George don't give a fuck about the canceled show. They're just glad to have more time for serious comic shopping. You have any more Mighty Mouse number three? Glenn asks the fat, obnoxious store owner, while the two others comb over the racks. <laughs> this was in Spin Magazine? Yes! 1991's weird. Like, all right, writer, make sure you call, like, poor guy working at the store a fat piece of shit. <laughs> Right. What the fuck? Why did he have to call that out? He asks for Mighty Mouse number three again in the article. Weird. I was like, what the fuck is up with Glenn and Mighty Mouse? Yeah, did you find anything out? I did. Take this with a grain of salt, but I found this story from a user on Reddit. I was in my teens and attending the 1991 or maybe 1992 San Diego Comic Con. I was wandering around the main floor when lo and behold, Glenn Danzig, all alone, manning a booth. No shit. He was there selling original animation cells, particularly of Mighty Mouse. I could not fucking believe it. I had his album on cassette in my backpack. I asked if he would please sign my cassette liner, and he said, What do I get for doing that? But he did sign it. 
I also got to say hi to some woman that I recognized from one of his music videos. He peaced out with her and left his table unattended. So. Oh, random. Yeah, Glenn's got a thing for Mighty Mouse. All right. I mean, hey, maybe um, maybe it's fucking good. Maybe it's like, a, maybe it was a gritty reboot of Mighty Mouse or something. Anyway, Nick, as you're aware, one of the first rules of comedy is to always punch up. Sadly, I cannot. Danzig is 5'3". <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I knew it was small, but I didn't know he was that small. I'm sorry. Like, the door was right there, and I had to walk. <laughs> I had to walk through it. <laughs> Obviously, Glenn has no choice over how short God made him. And he, just for the sake of fairness, here are some other entertainers who are 5'3". Easy E. Billie Eilish. Cardi B. Paul Simon. Ludwig von Beethoven. And Mighty Mouse. (laughs) (laughs) I'm sorry. (laughs) That's awesome. So he's in good company. But his stature does add a certain je ne sais quoi to his overall demeanor. This is a man who takes himself very, very seriously. He lives and breathes this persona and never ever lets it drop, which makes the whole act just that much sillier. One look no further than Christmas 2021, when his girlfriend posted on Instagram a picture of Glenn wrapping Christmas presents, and he fucking lost it. (laughs) (laughs) So there's Glenn, you know, just in all black with no shoes on, just wrapping Christmas presents. and In, In like a normal suburban house. Yeah, and of course the internet had fun with it. His girlfriend actually responded to an interview. She's asked, serious question, does Glenn see those dumb memes and ever laugh at them? She replies, he hates them and anyone who makes them, FYI. That's awesome. Yeah. So he's just a little crybaby when it, you know, whenever, you know, it's like I did something normal. Yeah. Are you going to talk about the kitty litter photo? That's the other problem is that like on the Glen Danzig Highway, there are so many exits you can get off on. Like there's just so many good stories about him. If you haven't seen the Glen Danzig kitty litter photo, just Google Glen Danzig kitty litter. Yeah. That's, That's all you funny. need to know. It's about yeah, the it's same great. size as he is. <laughs> Or uh, another good, another good search one is Glenn Danzig bricks. I, I don't know that one. Uh, there's a story that he lives in some, uh, you know, he has a house in New Jersey and it's just an absolute shithole that like is bringing down the property value of the whole neighborhood. Like there's just piles of bricks out front. Oh, wow. And, yeah. Finally, somebody's like, hey, could you get all these fucking bricks off your front yard? Like the place looks like shit. And one day they just find him like throwing bricks into like a dumpster. He goes, I'm clearing out my fucking yard. Just screaming (laughs) at no one. (laughs) He's just a cringy dude. Like here's a video of him lamenting that he shared a festival bill with Sinead O'Connor. This was taken like backstage at a festival. So you're going to hear like a little like boom, boom of like sound check and all that shit going on. I I must say what I liked about this festival was that... uh, that the people seem to be very open-minded, you know, they seem to accept like something like Sinead O'Connor and, and you know, heavy bands like Rollins Band and Biohazard and your band and, and a folk band like the Levelers. What do you think of that? I don't know anything about the Levelers, I just know I don't like Sinead O'Connor. Just because you think it's bullshit? Yeah. Oh, well, there's no particular reason. Uh, insincere. You think it's insincere? Yeah. Oh, shit. 
Hij vindt het niet oprecht, Sinead O'Connor. Ja, dat is zijn... Oké, keep in mind that this is three years after Sinead O'Connor went on SNL and tore up a picture of the Pope in protest of child abuse of the Catholic Church, which effectively made her persona non grata in the entertainment industry, mm -hmm. and she's fucking bullshit. <laughs> Sinead is more punk than this fucking guy. Well, I also like how he's like the worst interviewee ever. <laughs> he's, he's so just, bad. Yeah. Bullshit. Yeah. And he's got this smirk as he's yeah, I just don't like it. Like, <laughs> yeah. So, I mean, it's just like, it's a painful interview to watch. And I don't think it's because he's like this cooler than cool calculated guy. I think he's just kind of dumb. And the last cringiest thing to know about Danzig is that he is incredibly horny. <laughs> That's true. <laughs> yeah. At every single available opportunity, he finds a way to, one, pop his shirt off, and two, get some scantily clad exotic dancers from Lottie's premier titty bar, Satin Dolls, and put them in the mix. Wait, they're all from the same bar? I don't know. I just made oh, that okay. up. I just looked up strip clubs in Lottie, New Jersey, and uh, <laughs> I, found, I found Satin Dolls, which I'm not making this up. You probably know it by its other name, Bada Bing. Oh, wow. Yeah, this That's was funny. the this was the real life location uh, that the Sopranos filmed uh, their scenes at. But I digress. So in 1977, Glenn and some fellow local musicians, most notably Jerry Only and Doyle Wolfgang von Frankenstein, formed the Misfits, and they were unlike anything of the time. There was breakneck punk with Glenn's signature baritone wailing over the whole affair. The lyrics placed a singular focus on B-horror movies, science fiction, and the macabre, with a look that complemented their sound. Members were clad in black leather with dark makeup around the eyes and a hairstyle consisting of short, slicked-back sides and a greased front hanging from forehead to between the eyes and down to the chin, otherwise known as the devil lock. From this, the misfits gave birth to two of the biggest genres in music, Horror punk and psychobilly. <laughs> I'm sorry, but just fuck psychobilly. Fuck rockabilly. My, uh, that's a funny story. My girlfriend told me recently that, um, when we met, she thought that, like, those, that was my scene. <laughs> that, like, that, like, I was like a rockabilly guy. Oh my like, God. <laughs> pretty funny. I drive a Ford Fiesta and don't pay for my child support. <laughs> <laughs> boom, 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 boom. Yeah, a base made out of a coffin. Yeah, exactly. And, you know, it's like, If you're if you're going to go for it, be, go all the way. Like, you know what else they had back in the day with malts and drag races? Separate water fountains. Polio. <laughs> go all in. <laughs> Fucking rockabilly. Anyway, Glenn's time with the Misfits would be monumental, but also short-lived. In 1983, the Misfits broke up and Glenn went on to form Sam Hain. According to Glenn, the band's name is often mispronounced by fans as Sam Hain. However, the correct Gaelic pronunciation is So Win. But fuck him, it's Sam Hain. It's Sam Hain. <laughs> yeah, I'm not doing that. Fuck you, Glenn. The band would serve as his departure from the comic book creature feature flavor of the Misfits. Uh, the riffs were more influenced by metal and the blues, and the lyrical subjects were rooted in paganism and the occult. They would release two albums and an EP and amassed a pretty sizable cult following. James Hetfield ranks Sam Hain 3, November's Coming Fire, as one of his top 10 albums. 
Sam Hain is chugging along when in July of 1986, they were playing a gig at the Ritz in New York City as part of the New Music Seminar when a producer by the name of Rick Rubin caught their performance. So Rick Rubin's not a name that typically comes up on a new metal podcast, but uh, he is a force in music. If you don't know who Rick Rubin is, like, I don't know what the fuck to tell you. Like, <laughs> He's responsible for a lot of Red Hot Chili Peppers, though. He can never be forgiven for that. Uh, you know what? I will forgive him for that because we also got Slayer, Beastie Boys. He did do Diabolus and Musica, Slayer's new metal album. He also did Results May, Be- May Vary by Limp Bizkit. Oh my God, how did I not know that? I don't know. Probably because I never listened to that album, ever. And he did uh, Born Free by Kid Rock. Oh, also never listened to that one, but shit, maybe we should- Rick Rubin episode? Yeah, (laughs) I like it. They signed to Def Jam, but the truth of the matter was this. Rubin didn't want to sign Sam Hain. He actually thought the Misfits sounded like shit, and he really wasn't into Sam Hain at all. He was into Glenn Danzig. Danzig insisted that uh, Erie Vaughn stay in the band, but agreed that it was time to find a new drummer and guitarist. So with that, guitarist John Christ and drummer Chuck Biscuits were in. There was one final change to be made, however. Danzig and Rubin decided that this new outfit needed a new name. As Danzig recalled it, I was like, I'm tired of changing names of bands. We should just call it Danzig. I'll never have to change the name again. Not wrong. I mean, it could be worse. He could, I mean, Henry Rollins named his band Rollins Band. Can you imagine? Yeah, that's true. Uh, we, from now on, we'll call Danzig's band. <laughs> the Traveling Danzigs. <laughs> All right, point taken. Uh, so from 1987 to 1994, Danzig had an absolutely epic run. Mm-hmm. They, they released four amazing studio albums, the eponymous Danzig, and then Danzig 2, Lucifuge, my personal favorite, Danzig 3, had the gods kill. And then finally, Danzig 4. So that first album contained the sleeper hit Mother. And it was originally released as their main single on the first album with a video that once again solidifies to the audience that Danzig fucks. So, Nick, I shared that video with you. Yeah, yeah, for sure. I think uh, Danzig albums are cool because they're like Jordan shoes. Like you can just refer to them by the number. Like, bro, you use the new fives? Listen to four. Yeah, I, I caught those uh, Danzig three retros. <laughs> yeah, that's a good point. That's a really good point. But yeah, the original video for Mother, uh, it's this series of like black and white shots featuring close-ups of Danzig's face, what I'm going to assume are more exotic dancers. And then there's this one woman in particular who's super into it and like starts like, you know, dancing around a little. And Danzig's holding a torch at one point. And then... Danzig sacrifices this lady on an altar, and it's all real dumb. I found out that the name of this dancer is Jill Kethel. And if you're interested in catching up with her, you can find her on YouTube at That Mother Chick. Wow. Let's check in and see what she's up to. According to the Jews. <laughs> you want to stop her? <laughs> <laughs> oh god damn it all right let's keep going there is a word for the name of god that was given to moses on the mountain that they cannot pronounce 
the unpronounceable, unspeakable word of God. It's a four-letter. It's been translated in biblical terms into a four-letter thing that they decided is Yahweh. Y-W-H-E. M-E-T-H. <laughs> Crackhead! <laughs> Here's another one. Nick, you want to walk us through this? She's just in like her white trash bedroom in like her sexy outfit dancing. Kinda. It's really gross. I feel it's dirty. It's a real bad. There's like crumpled up tissues on the bed and like a beer can she like threw in the air. It's uh, it's, yeah, it's not great. Anyway, she stopped suddenly posting about 10 years ago, so I'll leave you to fill in the blanks of what happened. <laughs> in 1995, he released Danzig 5, Black Acid Devil, and it was different. The classic lineup of John Christ, Erie Vaughn, and Chuck Biscuits is gone. The sinister, bluesy riffing and metal grooves that made 1 through 4 so amazing, also gone. So instead of this... We get this. Someone heard that Ministry and Nine Inch Nails were having a moment. Yeah. Oh, man. It's a bad, bad transition. Yeah, this it's is such a huge change in sound. Yeah, like he just kicked everybody out of the band and was like, what's hot right now? It's 1995 industrial. All right, now I'm in, now I'm in industrial. This is the first time we're hearing programming and drum machines. It's the first time that effects are being applied to Danzig's vocals. And it's just, it's a shame. It's a garbage album that sounds like a guy desperately trying to cling on to relevance as music moves forward. Yeah, dude, aging is a bitch. Yeah, it sucks. And trying it to sucks. remain relevant as an artist. I mean, go look at Kid Rock's latest music and compare it to his early <laughs> stuff. Look at how offensive I am. Let's go, Brandon. <laughs> <laughs> okay, okay, Bob. Just uh, ha right. have a seat. <laughs> uh, so fast forward to 99. Gone is the Trent Reznor dick riding, replaced with something much, much stupider. And thus we get to Danzig 6 Colon, 66, colon, Satan's child. I just love that he couldn't just call it Danzig 6. He'd be like, gotta run with this one. 6 is the mark of the beast. <laughs> this, is, this is your only shot, Glenn. <laughs> I don't know why there's two colons. I don't know why a lot of things on this album. And I will be calling this Danzig 6, just yeah, so I don't yeah, lose my sure. mind. Couple notes about Danzig 6. It is produced by Danzig and Peter Lorimer. You may recognize Lorimer from his work on remixing tracks for Ace of Bass, producing the RuPaul hit Funky Christmas, or working with some guy named Artie the One Man Party. We opened up the, the, the checkbook all the way, huh? <laughs> oh, yes, we did. To the best of my knowledge, this is the only rock album in his production credits. His entire catalog is nothing but remixes for techno and pop outfits. Or maybe you recognize Lorimer from his other venture as a real estate mogul. 
If you're in the LA area and looking for a new home, head over to peterlorimer.com. Oh, wow. Yeah, buddy. Let's take a quick look at uh, what properties we got available. Oh, okay. So we've got two. Uh, one seems to be a uh, miniature estate. The mini estate has been thoroughly updated with a large motor court. I don't know why they have to call it a motor court. It's a driveway. Yeah, it's because it's um, big enough for an RV. Ah, okay. There is even an updated guest house complete with kitchenette and its own address. So that's where you can live if you got $3 million. It's nice. I could live there. Yeah, yeah. Any advertisers that want to uh, give us $3 million, we're in. The mixing on this album is done by none other than Jay Gordon and Amir Durak from Orgy. Yeah, that's kind of yeah. sweet. Yeah, right? And this is like, I mean, Orgy just hit. Like, yeah, this is like right after Blue Monday was on the radio. Like the, they haven't, Orgy had not been around, along for a while. Yeah, they hadn't, which is probably like why Danzig could afford them. Yeah, that's, my, that's exactly my guess. Also interesting was that this album was also engineered by Josh Abraham. So Abraham, at this point, he's just starting out, but he's already racked up like serious new metal cred, uh, including remix production and writing credits for Orgy, Deadsy, Limp Bizkit, Cold Chamber, Crazy Town, and Corn, just to name a few. So there is strong new metal influence in the studio here. Uh, I think most interesting to me is that Danzig played most of the guitars on this album himself. So, you know, new metal is a good choice because all the guitar parts in this album are crazy easy. <laughs> they are super duper easy. Looking at the outside of the album, depending on what version you bought, the artwork for this album is either gross or dumb. <laughs> yep. <laughs> Uh, the regular version is done by comic book artist Simon Bisley. Actually, Nick, you're, you're probably going to recognize his work the minute I show it. Oh, yeah, Lobo? Yeah, he was most well-known for Lobo. Kind of a scribbly style. Yeah, and it largely makes sense because the cover of this album is an insanely jacked Danzig as a demon shaking his fist at the viewer with like what looks like bullet holes on his skin or it's actually triple sixes carved into his flesh, but it looks like Lobo. It looks like this. Mm -hmm. It does. Hey, uh, can you, uh, can you make me look like mighty mouse? <laughs> can you make me look real big? <laughs> um, how about Lobo Glenn? Uh, I mean, you know, could, could, could mighty mouse beat him in a fight? <laughs> <laughs> I'm sorry. So yeah, that's the regular version. So if you ordered the album online, you probably got the cover art from Martin Edmond, which is... Uh, it's like an emaciated naked alien lady. <laughs> yeah, that's about it. You it's can it's, see it's like, like um, Rihanna in a concentration camp. Oh, Jesus! Ah, oh, God! Damn! <laughs> wow! Edmond would also do artwork for the 2000 Samhain box set the Danzig 5 limited edition, and is also popularly known for his work on Lobo. Well, oh, all right, there it is. Yeah, there's a Lobo connection there. The interior of this album is fucking gross. Yeah. There's like some creepy drawings, and then there's also just like strippers with like devil tails, but they're like flesh-looking devil tails. Yeah. It looks like they're like shit in Play-Doh. Yeah, it's really gross. Yeah, it, it doesn't work. Oh, and then... All of like the liner notes are like written in uh, new metal font. Uh -huh. <laughs> it, it's it's hard, to, impossible to read. Real quick, here's what Danzig's website had to say about Danzig Six at the time: a record that is a visceral and aggressive statement of black intent, 
unafraid to clutch and grab from today's technologies, but more in tune with the frightening power of a well-juiced guitar. (laughs) What the team has come up with is an inspiring and often trance-like heavy metal chum that understands the present and predicts the future. A record that rewrites the darkness of doom in the image of millennial technologies. Danzig 6 will have no problem living up to the hype, as well as the hyper speeds at which the hype will spread through the net. One listen will confirm that the often Sabbath-like authority of the record, coupled with a portfolio of unique Glenn Danzig voicings that astonish in their range, hue, and suggestive malevolence. What the fuck does that mean? That is extremely 1999. Yeah, that is... Through the speed of the net. Oh, yeah. And then he says, It marks a majestic rebirth of the Danzig sound, this synthesis of the man's evil guitar rock and his selective pillaging of industrial conventions. It is a record that is not only the beginning of a remarkable two-year plan within the Danzig camp, yeah, he lists all the bullshit in this two-year plan, and then because Danzig is so great and nobody can beat Danzig, he has to, like, slide in a little, like, fuck you to all the bands doing better than him. So uh, it ends with, uh, and finally, a double live album, cold from years, spent headlining stages in front of mod hotshots like Korn, Soundgarden, Typo Negative, and Marilyn Manson. Like he mod? Just, mod hotshots. Wow. Yeah, I swear to God, this press release goes on for like eight more paragraphs. Yeah, it's too long. Dancing 6 is 12 tracks clocking in at 53 minutes, 10 seconds, and kicks things off with Five Finger Crawl. Someone's got a case of the Rob Zombies. This song, it's like uh, it's like if Rob Zombie met the Afghan wigs. This is like <laughs> it's like goth cowboy music. Okay, yeah, I can I can definitely see that comparison. I don't hate it. I don't hate it. It's significantly better than what you're getting on Danzig 5, but like the bar has been set pretty low from that last album. Yeah, and, and this album is super top heavy too. Like yeah. That's about as good as it gets, except for the last song. The end of the album is my favorite part. Like, getting there is the, is the slog. I, I believe the word they used is the chum, Kevin. Oh, Jesus Christ. Fuck you. Uh, next up is Belly of the Beast, and it's this plodding drop D oven myth mm-hmm. riff with Glenn singing through an envelope filter and, like, some random-ass triggers and sound effects dropped in. It's very, very theatrical. Um, but I still thought it was pretty fun. Like, I, I don't think it's terrible. There's a lot worse on this album. There is a lot worse. It's just like, this is a, not a very auspicious uh, showing for our first two songs. You know, it's just, it sounds like Hellbilly Deluxe. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it, it only less, uh, less of a sense of humor because Glenn Danzig never, ever has a sense of humor. No, no. Between him and Rob Zombie. Like, yeah. both, like, obsessed with comic books and horror movies and, like, 
being scary. Glenn is obsessed with being tough, and Rob Zombie can kind of make fun of himself a little bit. Danzig would never, like, I wear no cat in the hat hat. Right. You know? What's that Rob Zombie guy got the goggles for? <laughs> that ain't funny. Monsters ain't funny. Ain't not authentic. <laughs> Next up is Lillin. I like this song, but again, they put all these vocal fil- filters on it. Well, no. So, I mean, it, I think it's interesting because uh, a Lillin is a female demon from ancient Hebrew tradition um, that, like, attacks men. Wait, what was that, Nick? According to <laughs> the Jews. <laughs> well, this okay. that is true in this case. Um, <laughs> Lillin is an ancient female demon. He also talks about the goddess Shy. The lyric is like, she has a tongue of the goddess Shy, but like, Shy was a dude, wasn't it? Uh, maybe. Uh, like, it was the Egyptian god of destiny. I thought it was not Shy was a dude. But yeah, then the chorus, uh, no one knows her, Lillian Child, I'm going to bind you. As you break down all the lyrics, this song is about a time they saw like a hot goth babe and he wants to tie her up. That's it. Yeah, that. oh, that's 100% it. And yeah, like, I mean, the thing is, is that like, I do like the track, but the only appealing thing about Danzig as a person is his voice. So like, don't fuck with that. When you strip away like all the Rob Zombie production, you have a really good Danzig track, but it's just buried yeah under. yeah there's way yeah. too much done to it next up is unspeakable uh nick you got anything about this one yeah i mean it's it's just it's the same like so all the songs in this album have like a pretty grindy very overdriven distorted guitar the choruses have big guitar parts and loud croony vocals and the verses is kind of like glenn talking the verses over a bass line yeah uh, this one does have a like a really tom heavy uh, like drum groove in the outro that I liked. But other than that, it's pretty unspeakable, like its name. Oh, it's a fine song, but the most interesting thing about it to me is the remix. The remix is called Unspeakable Shango Mix, and I can't find it anywhere. Uh, I didn't know it existed. Yeah, it's uh, apparently on like some Danzig Rarities album, but uh, it was featured on a loop in the 2006 porno film Grub Girl. Grub Girl. Yes. Grub Girl is based on a comic of the same name published under, you guessed it, Verotic, Danzig's Comic Company. It was directed by Craven Moorhead. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, man, Vintage Porno is funny. Oh, God, isn't it the best? Uh, The basic plot is that chemtrails... Uh, have this side effect of killing people and reanimating them. And this sex worker is killed and comes back. Do you really give, no, do you I really don't want care. me to give I you the plot of all. a porno? No, not at all. I fired up the old incognito mode and watched some of it. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, what I saw was about 10 minutes of two doctors fucking a dead lady in a morgue. Uh, and then at the very end, she comes back to life for the money shot and then tears one of the guy's dicks off and, I'm not sure who this movie is made for. <laughs> All right. I really don't know. I don't like, no part of me was like, yeah, porno. And then no part of me was like, oh, this is funny. <laughs> no, there's just, a, I don't know. And like, when I say dead, I don't mean like, oh, I'm dead. I mean, like her arm was like over the side, just like dead. Oh, gross. It was gross, dude. So uh, that's a thing I did. <sighs> Anyway, call it without a name. This is uh, like The Doors meets Rob Zombie. 
He's yeah. our, it's very most Jim Morrison. He does this like really weird falsetto thing in between the verses. And like, it doesn't have a very discernible structure. It's a little like masturbatory. Like it's Glenn's like, I'm going to do some weird vocal shit. Yeah. I mean, for me, it sounds like they lock the doors to the studio and like Danzig is singing from the hallway. I do like it when it picks up the tempo and it arguably has the best drumming on the whole album. Like, yeah, like live drumming, not programming. They just like let this dude go for it in the booth. But yeah, not a lot to say about this one. Mm -mm. Next up is East Indian Devil, parentheses, Kali's song. We need to play a little clip of this one because like somewhere in middle America in 1999, a stripper did a featured dance to this song. (laughs) Coming right up. Yeah, that's stripping music. Uh, yeah, if uh, Fear Factory 2 is Terminator 2 core, then this is from Dusk Till Dawn core. <laughs> the titty twister. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, dude, the vocals are so drenched in some kind of wet reverb. It makes the song kind of hard terrible. to listen to. But it's another song of him talking about like ancient religious gods. The song is called East Indian Devil, Callie's song. Um, Callie, from the, from the Wikipedia. Kelly's yes. earliest appearance is when she emerged from a Shiva. She's regarded as the ultimate manifestation of Shakti, the primordial cosmic energy, and the mother of all living beings. The goddess is stated to destroy evil in order to defend the innocent. I don't know much about Hinduism, but I'm willing to bet I have a fucking doctorate in it compared to Tansik. <laughs> it sounds like he's singing through a fucking box fan. Like, I just... Yeah, yeah, it's, yeah. it's not good. It's hard to listen to. Yeah, speaking of things that suck, next up is Firemask. Oh, I, my note says this one kind of slaps. Uh, my my only note is, you can see it right there, this song fucking sucks. <laughs> oh, I kind of like this one. It has the dope guitar riff. It's got like the introduction of like 808 hits, like a little drum machine, <laughs> like bass parts. It's got squealy guitars, and it has the most Danzig-y lyrics on the whole album. I've come to lie on the fire, come to cleanse the blood. I want to bring you all higher. Show me the thing you love. <sighs> all right. Hey, you know what? Everybody's <laughs> welcome to their own opinion on such. But I think it fucking sucks. All right. Uh, next up is Cold Eternal. And this is apparently Danzig's favorite song on the album. So I don't understand that because his vocal performance is fucking rough on this. Like, yeah, it's not good. It's the worst vocal performance on the whole album. He's even a little out of key. I think it's one of the few opportunities we get to hear Danzig without all the filters. And I think that you're right. It does portray a certain sense of like, you're getting old, dude. Yeah, Maybe dude you're losing pipe. it. But because this album is what it is, the guitars have the filters on them. So the whole background sounds like one of those noise sticks that you get in grade school. Hey there, it's Lucky Penny Shop, and we have a noise stick. You know what that is? Made in Taiwan noise stick? Well, it's got an open end here, solid end here, and there's something inside. So when you go up and down, 
Hear it? <laughs> now it's time for the namesake of the album, which is Satan's Child. It's so Danzig-y. Lyric, who do you turn to when you got no soul to sell? Where can you run to when you live no place but hell? At the time this album was made, Danzig is 44 years old. I'm sorry, but like middle-aged men do not write great songs about Satan. Right. Like yeah. That's a young man's game. Rob Zombie is 34 at this time. Jay Gordon is 32 and Jonathan Davis is 28. And here comes Grandpa talking about <laughs> old scratch and trying to see if we want to go cruising for some trim. <laughs> Moving on is Into the Mouth of Abandonment. Yeah, so this one sounds like it got left off of the Crow soundtrack. It's like gothic cowboy slam poetry. Uh, you know, that's one way to put it, but uh, here's what I thought of immediately. Here's the intro to Into the Mouth of Abandonment. And here's where my mind immediately went. You may recognize that as Opus Number One, aka the On Hold song. Yeah, I heard that in a restaurant the other day. It just came on. I was like, "Fuck yeah, dude!" That song's low key slaps, though. I know, right? I listened to that the whole way through. I didn't listen to this song the whole way through. Yeah, the lyrics are just embarrassing. It has this lyric where he goes, "Black angel, falling feathers, stare long into the mouth of abandonment. The trip down is a long one. It seems the harder you try to hold something in your arms, the quicker it dies." Ugh. And at this point, like vocally, he's just—I don't know, like what the recording order of this was, but he's just gone like full-throated Kermit the Frog dancer. <laughs> like that, you have no idea what the fuck he's saying. It's just in the background with all the, what, the filters just. So the next one, Apocalypse. So Danzig's a guy that says, yeah, in songs a lot. It has the best yeah ever recorded by Danzig. So can you play that one from the beginning? That's a damn good yeah. Sounds <laughs> like uh, when Howard Dean fucked up his presidential campaign. Yeah! <laughs> uh, you know, I will say, though, like the last two tracks, starting with this one, we get like Danzig classic and I'm here for it. It's no bullshit, no filters, no overproduction like I wish this would have been the whole album. Yeah, like, it's pretty cool. The only thing that's hard for me is it changes like speeds a lot. Like yeah. the verse and the chorus are different speeds. So it does get into like doom metal territory a little bit. Yeah, it just it like it reminds me of the albums that I wish Danzig was still making. And the same rings true for the twelfth and final song on the album, 13. <laughs> this is the best song on the album. Yeah, by a lot. Danzig actually wrote the song for Johnny Cash, traveled down to him, and they jammed it together, and it was originally released on the 1994 album Cash. Yeah, that was a Rick Rubin record. Here's a little bit of 13 as performed by Johnny Cash. Bad luck wind been blowing at my back 
I was born to bring trouble to wherever I'm at. And here's the Danzig version, just for comparison. So, I mean, it's a great song. It was uh, actually used in the beginning of the movie The Hangover. Yeah, the opening scene, which is really funny because I watched all three Hangover movies in the last month. And when I heard that opening song, I didn't realize it was Danzig. And I was just like, whatever this is, this fucking rules. Yeah. <laughs> It has no place on a new metal album. No, at not at all. all. You know, these last two songs don't. I feel like those are the two bright shining stars at the end of this kind of shit sandwich. Yeah, I mean, it, I like the first two. I like the last two. Uh, and uh, that's it. Like I said at the top of the hour, this is just somebody being a victim of the time. You'll never keep up with the kids is yep. kind of the lesson here. Yep. But, Stick to your roots. Do what you do. Don't don't scene hop. It never works. Yep. So where are the, where is he now? Danzig has gone on to be an insufferable prick to pretty much everybody he's ever met, but we just can't leave him. It's an abusive relationship, <laughs> man. Just when the 67-year-old starts acting like a 67-year-old and bemoaning woke cancel culture and telling you how punk never would have existed if things are the way they are now. And just when you're at the moment where you're going to tell Gramps to go fuck himself, he goes and does a Misfits reunion. And you're like, I gotta go see that. Or when he says shit like, I'm pro-abortion and I'm pro-Planned Parenthood, but I don't think Planned Parenthood should be selling baby parts like a chop shop in Brooklyn, okay? And like when you're ready to walk away, then all of a sudden you remember how good Danzig 3 is and it's like a warm blanket. And ultimately, Danzig is Danzig and always has been and always will be. And you just have to accept it or move the fuck on. Well, you know, the, the year 2020, you know, did a lot to a lot of our psyches. Some of us were stuck at home <laughs> researching conspiracy theories. It sounds like Danzig was doing that. He was also making Danzig Sings Elvis, uh, his uh, 2020 release, featuring his own rendition of Always On My Mind, which I will play for <sighs> you now. Girl, I'm sorry I was blind You were always on my mind You were always on my mind Well, he sounds like a 67-year-old. Yeah, it looks like uh, he's in his jumpsuit era. Of, uh, <laughs> I have great memories surrounding Danzig's music, and I will always love... Uh, Dancing of the Musician, but this is not a good album. And it is a not good album from a man who at that point had more wins under his belt than losses. I don't really recall this album at the time. It was, you know, this was at the time I'd be, I would be listening to this kind of stuff. I did see he went, you know, on a pretty heavy touring regimen. He took Hatebreed out for uh, the Satan's Child World Tour. I just have zero memory of it. Uh, yeah, I don't. I, I mean, it wasn't anywhere on my radar. I mean, I was obviously heavily into new metal at that time. It didn't this one miss my radar entirely? So, thanks for bringing it to my attention. I'm glad I listened to it. 
Yeah, yeah. And now we've uh we've all learned a little something. So all right, let's put a bow on this, man. What you been listening to? Uh a new Lucero album came out. Um, Did it? Yeah, it's called Should Have Learned by Now. So most of my friends know that Lucero is one of my favorite bands of all time, but I haven't really liked any music that they've put out in like 20 years. They added Rick Steff, who's like a legendary piano player, and they added a horn section for a while, and it just got away from their drunk guy singing songs about girls in bars <laughs> and girls in bars and that kind of stuff. Um, but there are a few songs on this album I like. Um, the lead singer, uh, Ben Nichols, is married, has a child. His life has calmed down. He's not the... Mm-hmm drunken piece of shit drinking 15 shots of Jameson while on stage and being unable to finish the show that me and Kevin have seen multiple occasions live. Sometimes we have been the drunken pieces of shit who fed him shots. But yeah, well, yes, I have had drinks with Ben Nichols. However, I've never been paid to perform and been unable to complete the show due to my own intoxication. And I've seen that twice and it sucked. But this is Nothing's All Right off the new album Should Have Learned By Now. Empty hearts and blackout nights Was all I had to show For all of my good times But when she came around She changed everything somehow Without her nothing's alright Nothing's alright But I All right, that was Nothing's All Right from Lucero's new album, Should Have Learned By Now. Very nice. So on my end, I have been revisiting a band called Psychotica. Psychotica was a New York punk glam group that uh, most notably went out on the 96 Lollapalooza tour, the one with Metallica, and they like opened the day. And I don't know how their album came into my orbit, but I fell in love with it. And it was like nothing I'd ever heard at the time. And... When Tool came through Charlotte on their Enema tour, they brought Psychotica as the opener. In true teenage fashion, I had my Psychotica shirt on and I went there and I ran up to the front and I was singing along and nobody really gave a fuck. And the lead singer, Pat Briggs, he grabbed me by the hand and pulled me on stage. And then he asked me like, hey, and you having a good time? And like, I think all I remember was just like standing up and giving metal horns and the whole crowd going, yeah. And then he grabbing it goes hey man go backstage watch the show from there so there i am backstage at this show watching what is then my favorite band perform and then they bring me backstage and take pictures with me and it was just amazing it was an amazing evening and then about a month later i got a package in the mail and it was a printed out copy of their article in out magazine oh yeah by the way First gay dude I ever met in my life. Oh, okay, cool. So uh, he uh, included a copy, a printout of like their Out Magazine article of uh, their vinyl seven inch of their latest single, We Are the Dead, uh, and a VHS of home recorded shows of all their tour stops. Oh, wow. Yeah, and just sent that to a kid. Oh, and pictures, like all the pictures they took on like a rollout camera, yeah. printed them off and sent them to me. Wow. That's yeah, insane. it was it was amazing. Well- Unfortunately, this past December, Pat Briggs died. Oh, man. It it sucks. And uh, it was complications from a few things. But um, 
uh, he passed away. And actually tonight in New York, they're doing a, uh, a celebration of his life. And obviously I'm not there, but I've been jamming Psychotica. Um, so rest in peace to Pat Briggs, one of the most powerful, incredible vocalists and kind human beings I've ever met. And I'm going to play you a little bit off their 96 al- self-titled album. Uh, this song is called Flesh and Bone. <laughs> That's Flesh and Bone by Psychotica. Yeah. Rest in peace, Pat. Nick, where can they find us? Cool. Uh, you can find us on Instagram at Days of the New. That's D-A-Y-Z of the New and you. Uh, you can find me, Nick, on Instagram at Nick underscore the underscore knife. You can find me on Instagram at K-J-D-E-L-U-R-Y. Please hit us up. We love hearing from you. We love talking to you. Uh, we've met some very cool people from uh, both here and abroad. And uh, thank you again for listening. It, we really do appreciate it. Thanks. Uh, thanks so much. Hit, hit the subscribe button. Uh, tell a friend, leave us a review. All that stuff helps a lot. Um, we'll uh, be back with a mosh pit next week. And uh, we got a pretty cool episode after that. And we promise we, we will cover some like stuff that you've listened to this season before we're done. Keep it at your dickholes. Later. Days of the New is a production of the Palm Springs 86. You are there! <laughs>